0: This message first aired on the radio on January 26th, 2004. We're looking again today at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and as we look at it, we realize that we're in an area of great controversy in the Scripture. This is uh, Scriptures that are, I think, not very well understood and maybe worse in their application. We have a touchy subject that was touchy to the Corinthians, that's why they wrote to the Apostle. We have a subject here that's uh, pretty touchy, that's pretty sensitive in the Christian churches today, and we would do well to look at this chapter carefully and dispassionately so that we could understand what the Apostle's actually saying. And I'll tell you that a great many lives would be saved, a great amount of difficulty and problems in the Christian world would be uh, avoided if we would humble ourselves look at the scripture of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is an answer to a number of questions that were asked by the early church and continue to be asked today. And if we uh, take the chapter apart and look at it the way that it's laid out, that is to say, if we cut it straight uh, the way that it's laid out, we'll see that it opens with uh, much of what we covered yesterday, a general discussion of the role of marriage in light of fornication among the Gentiles. And here chastity is uh, described for us, and chastity is described as no sexual relations outside of marriage, but sexual relations according to the needs of your mate, according to the needs of your partner inside marriage. And it's good to review those things. And so we see that the apostle says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. That can also mean inflame, but it means both things and that's why the word is used. The word is used as the word touch and it is also used in the scripture as the word to kindle and it's good for a man not to do that. Now nevertheless there is fornication and because of fornication let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband Uh, that uh, to avoid fornication that is the answer marriage is the answer to fornication and I'll point out that it is monogamous a marriage and uh, in Corinth and elsewhere in the world where the world has not been so Christianized, monogamy is not the only form of marital cohabitation allowed. There are countries, there are societies where polygamy is acceptable and even the order of the day and the Corinthian society was such a society. So it says let each one have his own wife, single, and let every woman have her own husband. Now it says, Let the husband render unto the wife, verse 3, do benevolence, and likewise the wife unto the husband. The wife has not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband has not power over his own body, but the wife. That's First Corinthians 7, verse 4. And so we see therefore that your body in marriage is not simply a matter of your own control. It is a matter of the control of your spouse. And so that's part of why marriage is bondage, if you just think that out a little bit. Then he answers the other side of chastity at verse 5, where he said, do not withhold yourselves from one another except you agree to, and then only for a short period of time to promote fasting and prayer to promote your spiritual life and come together again soon so that Satan doesn't tempt you for your incontinency. And after all, uh, those who are married have a sexual need. Otherwise, why would they be married? And that's what he says in verse 7. He says, I would that all men were as I myself. But every man has his proper gift of God, and not not everybody is gifted to stay single like the Apostle Paul was. And he knew what he was talking about. After all, we believe that as a former member of the Sanhedrin, he needed to have been married at some time. Now he breaks out three groups of people, and the first one is the group of the unmarried and widows. He says, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows... It is good for them if they abide as I do. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And now he says it's best for the unmarried and uh, for single people, that is to say, for those without wives or widows, those who used to have wives or husbands, for them if they abide as I do. And Paul abides single as an unmarried or a widower. We don't know which it is. Uh, But verse 9 says, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, it is better to marry than to burn. And now we, we see the answer back to the first verse where he said it's good for a man not to inflame a woman, and we discussed yesterday in some detail that the man is already a match that's ready to light, and the woman is the tinderbox that he could fire up, and therefore it's good for a man not to kindle or touch a woman. And so here we see that marriage is better than burning. That's the advice to the unmarried and to the widows. Now he turns to the married, verse 10. Unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord." Now here we have a figure of speech that is used to intensify the the statement that follows. This figure of speech substitutes, and we have this in every language, but the, this figure of speech substitutes a higher authority for the authority speaking. So I could say to you, well my advice is not to get divorced, but hey that's not my advice, that's the Lord's command. Now that, that figure of speech I just used where I substituted the Lord's command for my advice, is to intensify the statement, and that's what the Apostle says here. He said, Unto the married I command, not I, but the Lord commands. And he now reflects back to the commands that the Lord himself gave while he walked the earth. We have in the Gospel of Matthew, for example, in Matthew 19, for example, we have the Lord saying that man should not put asunder what God has put together, And so we have that advice by the Apostle. Apparently it was a question. What about divorce? What do you think about putting away? After all, we're no longer under the law, so does that mean that we're no longer under putting away? Maybe the question was something like that. And the uh, uh, Apostle answers, I command here. Not I advise, but I command here. Not I, but the Lord commands here let not the wife depart from her husband let there not be putting away of wife and husband that's what he says but and if she departs but if she does go away if she does put away and women could do this in Corinthian society they could not do this in Jewish society but they could do it in Gentile society so but and if she departs let her remain unmarried now I want to point out to you that in her departure she has acquired an unmarried state and so she said to stay to remain unmarried now when you depart from your husband don't you be saying that this is just some kind of trial separation so that we can get along the scripture commands you not to do that but if you do that you are to remain unmarried and you see that God has already noticed that you've done something to your married state and it's a wrong thing that you've done so don't do the next wrong thing having separated don't get even further and remarry remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and let not the husband put away his wife now we see here that he's talking to the married those who are married and I can tell you that these are married believers he's commanding because the unbelievers will not receive the commands uh, either of the apostle or of the Lord, and so he's talking here to married believers, and we know that he's talking to parties who are both believing parties, not so much just because of what it read there in verses 10 and 11 of 1st Corinthians 7, but because of what it reads hereafter, and here it says, to the rest, verse 12, and so there's the group of the unmarrieds, there's the group of the marrieds, and then there's this group of the rest. And you say, well, how could someone be neither married nor unmarried? And of course, the rest is this, that he breaks the married into two categories, the the saved married, where he repeats the commands of the Lord and said, you know these, or assumes that they know these, and these are still in effect, do not divorce if you are married. And that's been the command of the Lord from the beginning and it's the command of the Lord in the the law although for the hardness of heart as the Lord said in Matthew Moses gave the right to divorce in writing but from the beginning it was not so and so the Lord says to those who are married this is the command but now he says to the rest well who are these rest well we can see who they are to the rest speak I not the Lord now he says, I'm speaking on this, not the Lord. The Lord has not commanded concerning this circumstance. And of course, the Lord hadn't commanded concerning this circumstance because the Lord came to the nation of Israel and there was no allowance or toleration whatsoever of someone outside of Israel being married to someone in Israel. There had to be the proper nexus into Israel for a person to be a marriage partner, and they were just forbidden from marrying outside of, I won't say the faith, but outside the commonwealth of Israel. But now we have a circumstance that has arisen with the Gentiles being saved, where we have those who believe and those who do not believe. And friend of mine, brother, sister, this is a very difficult situation. This is a situation that is explosive this is a situation that is on the brink of splitting virtually at all times and the apostle recognizes that and this has never been spoken to in the scriptures before that's why he says to the rest speak i not the lord he doesn't mean that his apostolic authority is somehow in question here he doesn't mean that this isn't the word of god what he means is i speak on this the Lord never spoke on this specially particular topic. And so he now goes into what his advice is. He said, To the rest speak I not the Lord, if any brother has a wife that is an unbeliever. Now some say this means unfaithful, but this is the exact same word that was used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6, where it says uh, in his criticism of the Corinthians, but brother goes to law with brother and that before the unbelievers now therefore there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law with one another before unbelievers and you may remember in the sixth chapter that his recommendation was if you have a suit to file against a brother convene the church and impanel the church to judge the matter but before you go to the unbelievers be defrauded now here is the same group, unbelievers. If a brother has a wife that is an unbeliever, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. So the question arose, remember he's answering their questions, hey, I have an unbelieving spouse, shouldn't I just put her away and marry inside the faith? And the answer is no, you shouldn't put away. Avoid the putting away. If she's happy to dwell with you, then dwell with her. Why? Well, and and, and by the way, this isn't just for men. It's also for women. Verse 13, And the woman which has a husband that believes not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So here we see that the believing man has said, Well, if your wife is an unbeliever and she's happy to stay with you, then don't put her away. So the believing husband is advised not to divorce. In fact, he's commanded here not to divorce. And in the case where the believing wife has an unbelieving husband, she is also commanded not to leave him. Why? Verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is set apart or sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy, or else were your children on the outside of the faith, but now they are set apart by God inside the faith. I think the sanctification of the children of Christian marriages is something that's heavily overlooked. It doesn't mean that they are believers. It doesn't mean, for example, that they should be baptized as infants or as children not having believed but understand that the children of believing parents are set apart by god for the faith and it is the very normal everyday thing for all of those children to believe in the lord jesus christ and to be saved and i'll tell you this in our church we anticipate and we expect every single child in the church whose parents are saved, even one of them, we expect that each and every one of them will receive the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, and that is exactly what we experience. And so, this is a wonderful thing, that God sanctifies the children, even if only one party is born again. You say, what does it mean sanctifies? Well, it means that he set them apart for himself, and he will come to them in due time, and at the right time, and hopefully at an early time. And it's a normal thing to see young children with Christian parents come to Jesus Christ. When I meet men who say they became uh, Christians when they were young, I oftentimes tell them, "Your, your mama took you to Sunday school, or made you go, or your parents were in church every Saturday, and I find out it's true. Well, this is a thorny piece of Scripture. We're not going to haste our way through it. We're going to come back to it, wait just after this announcement, and we'll have some more. Well, so far, I'd say we've avoided the most controversial section of this passage of Scripture, but we're not going to do that. and We're not going to soft-pedal what we believe it says. Uh, We believe that the whole truth of the Word of God is important for the whole family of God and here we come to the section that is now in verse fifteen but if the unbelieving depart let him depart a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases but god has called us to peace for what knowest thou o wife whether thou shalt save thy husband or how knowest thou o man whether thou shalt save thy wife but as god has distributed to every man as the lord has called every one so let him walk and so ordain i in all the churches so here we have now verses 15 through 17 of 1 corinthians chapter 7 and it says well that's fine we understand what to do with the unbelieving one when they don't depart but the apostle anticipates that they will depart not each and every one of course he said if they don't then they'll be set apart by God. And of course, God will deal with them in the faith. But there is the expected and anticipated case that the unbelieving party will depart. And let me tell you that the enmity that is against Christ and his people that is in the world does reach right into marriage. And here we have the believing partner not divorcing the unbelieving partner, but the unbelieving partner departing and abandoning the believing partner. When the scripture says, when that happened, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Now, I know many have gone about saying what kind of bondage they're not in, that they're not in bondage to go have sexual relations with them. Well, let me tell you, the sexual relations is the part of marriage that is not the bondage. The bondage of marriage is the power of the other one over your body. It is the trials and troubles of this world that you begin to have, and it will be described in some detail here in this chapter. So, the bondage that the apostle's talking about is the marriage bond. Marriage is bondage. Marriage is trouble. Marriage is difficulty in the world apart from the affections, and your emotional needs, and your affection needs, and your sexual needs. Apart from that, marriage is a lot of trouble. It costs more. It has the added difficulty of two having to agree about things rather than one just determining what he'll do. Well, we'll go into that in a minute. But here it says, A brother or sister is not in bondage when the unbeliever departs. And friends, that's the marriage bondage. They are not in bondage. Others are in bondage. The one who has the unbeliever who decides to stay remains in the marriage bond. The one who has the unbeliever departing is not in marriage bond. But God has called us to peace. Now, here the overruling and overriding principle is peace. Now, I know there are those who tell these unfortunate several or these unfortunate few, however many they may be, who have their unbelieving spouse depart from them, that they are bound to that person for life no matter what. And I've even heard fellows say that when that person remarries or whatever it is they do, that that person is still their wife or husband even though you are not their husband or wife. Well, that is totally ridiculous. And I just want to say that it is completely ridiculous that someone could be your wife but you are not her husband, or vice versa. It is just not the case. And when these subjects arise like this, I always ask the one giving that advice, saying, well, that's still in God's sight, that's still your husband. Then I ask them, well, then is she free to go have sexual relations with that person, uh, or is she commanded to have sexual relations with that person if he wants her to, though he may even be remarried? And, of course, the answer is, well, heaven's no. Well, if it's heaven's no on sexual relations, then it's heaven's no in marriage. Because chastity in marriage involves sexual relations to satisfy the other partner. And if that's not a right thing to do, then you do not have a marriage. Preaching friend of mine, have the courage to stand for the Scripture. Have the courage to defend your flock. Have the courage to understand the peace of God. And don't say it's just safer if you stay single and live a life of burning. Because it's not safer for them. It's merely safer for you and the criticism that you will undoubtedly take. And the scripture says, in effect, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Let not many be teachers of the scripture well if we would follow the apostles advice we would have only all orderly christian homes we would have only all orderly christian homes now these questions what knowest thou o wife whether thou shalt save thy husband that is a rhetorical question and with rhetorical questions we have implicit answers and this rhetorical question for what knowest thou wife whether thou shalt save thy husband has the rhetorical answer, you do not know that. In fact, there is no reason, now that he's departed from you, and he is no longer sanctified, there is no reason for you to think that you can save that man. And conversely, how knowest thou, O man, whether you shall save thy wife? The answer to that rhetorical question is you do not know that, and there is no reason for you to think that you will. Now I know that there is a single man who rose up when I was young, I believe his name was Bill Gothard, and he began to recommend to people whose lives were like this, where the unbeliever departed, he began to go back to the book of Hosea and teach them to pray up hedges of thorns. And I know he's not the only one. There are others. He just became infamous, uh, at least in my opinion, for doing so. There are very many others that say, go chase after that one. Go pray a hedge of thorns around them. God will deal with them. Listen, God is dealing with them while they're with you. He, they are sanctified while they're with you. When they depart, you are not in bondage, get over it, get used to it, and get on with it, because you still have a Christian life of peace, and you are no longer in the marriage bond. And if you are no longer in the marriage bond, you are unmarried, and you follow that advice. Well, as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. And this is the advice given to every single church of God, every single one for all time. This is ordained by the apostle. This subject, the one I just recently most covered, the subject of the believing and unbelieving partners, is only spoken about here in First Corinthians chapter 7 verse 18, is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Now, I don't know how you become uh, uncircumcised once you're circumcised. You certainly aren't to become Jewish if you're a Gentile. That's what that means to me in in any case. Let let me put it this way. I've, I've spoke that backwards. In verse 18, if any man is called being circumcised, he does, if he's a Jew, don't, you don't have to become some kind of a Gentile. You don't have to take up Gentile habits and Gentile practices or anything else. Is anyone called an uncircumcision? That is to say, are you a Gentile? You do not need to be circumcised. You don't need to go through that painful process if you're an adult male Gentile and you haven't been circumcised. You don't need to go through the painful process of circumcision. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. In other words, look, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. What matters is if you're following in the faith. Now, you say the keeping of the commandments of God. Well, this has to do with the keeping of God's word here, specifically, of course, the commandments that they are receiving in this epistle. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Now, here's verse 20 and this has to do with our ambitions friends this has to do with our ambitions let every man abide in the calling in the same calling where he was called so stay just like you are are you called being a servant now this is a bond servant we don't have bond servants in america they're illegal this is slavery from a bond that is where you become a debtor and you sell yourself to pay off your debt in america we don't allow that We don't sell ourselves to pay our debts. We work as freemen to pay our debts. And if we can't pay our debts, we even have bankruptcy in order to avoid becoming a slave. But in many societies, there are bondservants, and there are still debtor prisons in many societies. Here it says, Are you called being a bondservant? Don't care for it. But if you may be free, use it rather. If you can get away from your bond, if you have the opportunity to become a free man from being a bond slave, do it. Now I could talk about your debt right now. You know, when you're in debt, the borrower is the slave to the lender. And so when you're in debt, you are in a form of bondage that the scripture would advise you, if you have the opportunity to get free, get free. This is not a state for you to remain in when your opportunity is to get out. So the first thing you should do if you're in deep debt is get out of debt. Get out of debt. Don't think, for example, that you need to tithe or other things not commanded in Scripture. God wants you to get out of debt and to be free when you have the opportunity. And you do, in America, have the opportunity to get out of debt. And uh, if you'd like to write to me or click on the email link or comment section of our website at www.biblestudy.net and you want some advice how to get out of debt, I have had the privilege of offering that advice to many who have found themselves out of debt. And I can also tell you that God will make you a way to live out of debt. That doesn't mean that you'll get to have everything that you want. It doesn't mean you'll get to have all the savings plans you want, all the medical insurance you want, and other things that you think you need. But God will deliver you from being in debt. And I can tell you, as one who has lived out of debt since I've been a Christian, I got out of debt when I first became a Christian. I was a very young man. I was 24 years old. I got out of debt, and I have stayed out of debt, and you also can stay out of debt, as so many Christians have discovered, that you can both get out and stay out. Well, here, that's the advice. You are bought with a price, verse 23, do not be the servants of men. Now you do not need to be the servant of man, even if you are an employee of a man. You don't serve the man, you serve God. You serve God in your work and you'll serve the man even better as you serve God." So here now it goes on. He says, Brethren, verse 24, he intensifies his recommendation, let every man wherein is called, therein abide with God. Now let me talk a little bit about your career, because I know you might be thinking about it, brothers. You might be thinking about, well, what about my career? I think God wants me to have my own business. I hear a lot of that from Christians, God wants me to have my own business. I'm not sure about that. When I hear somebody tell me God wants them to have their own business, I begin to suspect that that's not what God wants at all. God tells you to abide in the calling wherein you're called. If you have the opportunity to live peacefully in your job, do it. Starting your own business and having your own business is none of what people are marketing that to be to you. I have had my own businesses. I had to have my own businesses because I lost my job. Uh, I found that I could not keep a job and preach as I do. Sooner or later those things came in conflict. In fact, it came in conflict also with my own businesses. But I assure you that having your own business is a very difficult thing to do and I do not recommend it especially as you may have a family. Now that being said, there are those so gifted, that the, and especially gifted in administration and so forth, that they can conduct their own business. But before you go get your own business, before you decide God wants you to have your own business, you go talk to some faithful brother who has his own business. Some Christian who's faithful to the Scriptures that has his own business. And that's going to take you a long time to find one. It's going to take you a long time to find one. But you talk to one, and you see if he would do it all over again. You see, especially if he knows you, if he thinks you should. Because I'll tell you, there are so many people today who are buying the line that they should have their own business, so forth and so on, and they ought not to. Well, let me now say this. If you do have your own business, you're still the servant of God. So here, And that's what the Scripture says. Verse 22, he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. If you're called in the Lord and you're a servant, you're the Lord's freeman. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. And so you have your own business. You're still Christ's servant with whatever it is that God gives you. And let me tell you, I have known very many Christian businessmen. I have ve- known very many businessmen Christians. I should put it that way some who have had large operations, it is very difficult for them to be faithful. It is very difficult for them to discover how they can best serve Christ. And it is, uh, they're going to be held accountable for all that responsibility. And uh, it's not an accountability, by the way, that I envy, and it ought not be one that you envy. And so uh, be careful about that. Well, the overriding thought is... Uh, brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. And of course, what does that really mean? That means to be content. That means to learn to trust God and be content with your circumstances and let God raise you up as he chooses. We'll be right back after this announcement. So as we make the turn into the last half of this chapter of First Corinthians, we come through the 24th and 25th verse, We have the general principle, brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. And that's a general principle. In fact, the Bible here cautions changes in state. You find yourself married, stay married. You find yourself single, stay single. You find yourself a servant, stay a servant, think nothing of it. Although, if you have a chance to become a free man, do so. And if you find yourself a free man, well, don't become a bondsman. Just a final note on that, we don't have bondmen in America, we're all freemen at least, you do not need to own your own business to be a free man in America. Now it says, he takes that principle, the apostle, and in verse 25 turns it to the matter of marriage again. And he said, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give judgment as one that has obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. So he says he has no commandment from the Lord concerning virgins. They're free to stay virgins. They're free to be married. But he does want to give his opinion. And he says, I suppose, therefore, that it is good for the present distress, that it is good for a man so to be. That is to say, it is good for a man to be single. He's talking here about virgins. He's talking about this in its context means, apart from marriage, it means single, unmarried, not married. He says, as a virgin one who has, by the way, never been married, never been married, he says, don't get married. Stay like you are. And what's the reason? Well, the reason is the present distress. Well, what was the present distress? The present distress was the move by the emperor Claudius, for example, in Rome to remove all Jews out of Rome. Uh, especially uh, the sect of those who followed the Lord Jesus Christ, regarded by Rome to be, at that time, to be a sect of Judaism, later found out by Rome uh, to be a particular belief. And they were first called Christians at Antioch, where the Apostle Paul uh, was first called to the work of the ministry. And after that time, the phrase or the uh, title of Christian spread throughout the Roman Empire to identify those of that way. Of course the Christian persecutions really we might say signaled by Claudius and then got into full swing with Nero who followed him not many years later. So we're on the beginnings of the Roman persecution of Christians and that's the present distress which only got worse. And during a time of great distress The apostle recommends that the single stay single. Now you will find in distressed areas of the world where there are pressing matters of life's very existence that marriage gets later and later and it's much more difficult to negotiate a marriage. We tend to not appreciate the great liberty we have in our society in that we have families of resource, we have abundance of profitable work to do we have low cost of food and clothing and shelter in our country such that virtually everyone can afford to own his own home Uh, really I say virtually everyone actually everyone in America can find a way to own his own home and to clothe his family and to feed his family and so there's no present distress in America and so if there's no present distress then of course This advice doesn't follow, but he's writing to the Corinthians who are in distress and say it's a good thing for a man to stay single considering the distress, or a woman to stay single. Now, that is in the face of the general thrust of Scripture which says it's not good for a man to be alone, and so here the apostle commends singleness, but not aloneness. Of course, he's commending the Christian life in fellowship with one another. And he's saying because of this present distress, I suppose, with my experience, it's good to stay single because you don't have as much trouble and there's trouble enough. And now he says in verse 27, are you bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. That means stay as you are, general principle, stay as you are. Are you loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Now here, being loosed from a wife is different than being a virgin being loose from a wife means you had a wife and somehow you've come away from that wife you have been let loose whether she left you whether she died he says it's a good idea don't seek a wife but and if you marry you have not sinned and if a virgin marries she has not sinned nevertheless such shall have trouble in the flesh and i would spare you and that's the final conclusion that he gives to his advice he says, My advice is don't marry. Stay single. Stay married if you're married. Stay single if you're single. Abide as you are because there's a lot of trouble out there when you get married. But and if you do marry, there is no sin in it. And if the virgin marries, she also does not sin. But I would spare you, such will have trouble in the flesh. And indeed, In marriage, we do have trouble in the flesh. And when conditions are more severe, we have more trouble in the flesh. Now he says, verse 29, But I say, brethren, the time is short. It remains that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoiced not, and they that buy as though they possessed not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away and here he says now the scheme of this world or the outline the way that this world is working is passing away and so now he says if you weep be as if you don't weep in other words don't be so taken up with whatever it is that is affecting you if it's being married that affects you then you be as if not if it is single that affects you then it is as if married if you weep It is as if you're not sorrowful. If you are happy, it is though, or rejoice, it's though you are not rejoicing. In other words, the present distress is such, and the urgency of the Lord's work is such, and the temperament required to follow the Lord is such that we not be taken up with the matters of this life, that we not be overwhelmed by the matters of this life. I find it very interesting that he comes to and they that buy as though they possessed not. You know when you buy something you think well I own it but don't hold too tightly to your own possessions. Don't hold so tightly to your possessions because the fashion of this world is passing away. Sometimes you'll buy things and it's not as if you're going to get to keep them and this was a very present reality for these Corinthians because those in Rome who owned things, they were chased away from them, and of course the day was coming when the Christians would not be allowed to own things, as the repression of this world was coming upon them, as the persecution that is in the world was coming upon them, and they that use this world as not abusing it. And let me say that this world is the way that it is in our hands, that we don't use it as much as we possibly can. But that we use it according to the grace of God that is given to us. You are not to maximize your worldly opportunities here below. and I find many Christians far more busy maximizing their worldly opportunities than they are what the Scripture says, redeeming the time or using their time well for Christ because the days are evil. Now he says this, verse 32, I would have you without carefulness. He said, my desire Is that you would not be anxious. Now when we come to the book of Philippians, when we read the epistle to the Philippians, he's going to say, don't be anxious for anything, pray about everything. There is no reason to be anxious, but here he says that I'd have you to be without anxiety or without cares or without carefulness. And he said, now if you want to remain without carefulness, the single state is preferable. Because he that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married cares for the things that are of this world, how he may please his wife." This is a fact. This is a true thing. If you'll observe the Christian life, and I've had the opportunity to observe many in the Christian life, including myself in the Christian life, it is much easier to serve the Lord while single. And in fact, if you're a single person and you're bored and you're pining and you're wondering when your mate is going to show up, so forth, so on, why don't you forget about that nonsense and be without carefulness and use your opportunity as a single person to serve the Lord? There is plenty of work to be done. There is plenty of need in the Lord's work for both single women and single men. There is so much work for all women and all men to be done that is going undone. And you that are single, you have the opportunity to organize your life to care for the things of the Lord, because you don't have a spouse to please. And once you get married, you will be overwhelmed, and you'll certainly be taken up in your mind with how you will please your spouse. Now, maybe your wife doesn't think you are, and maybe your husband doesn't think you are, but brother, sister, you are, and you know it, and you know that that state is a careful state or an anxious state that the married life brings to your mind all manner of anxiety even though it shouldn't and we should be anxious for nothing. He says now there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman and here the virgin is the unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit but she that is married cares for the things of the world and how she may please her husband." Now maybe you brothers out there think, well, my wife isn't all concerned with how she may please me. Well, it is one of her major concerns. Despite how you judge her effectiveness at pleasing you, it is a preoccupation of hers. And of course, the family affairs and the family life is almost a total distraction from the things of the Lord directly in the work of the Lord and the ministry of his word. He says, this I speak for your own profit." Not that I may cast a snare upon you. He said, I'm trying to make you profitable. I am not trying to ensnare you with a single life that is burdensome and that causes you to burn and that destroys your conscience. He's not trying to do that. He says, but to do that which is comely, you may attend on the Lord without distraction. And I want you preaching brothers to notice how careful the apostle is to say he is not trying to ensnare the believers here into an unsatisfactory, bad conscience, burning life of singleness. He is merely pointing out to those who are single that they optimize their opportunities and that they see their opportunities as single people. He's advertising it for what it is. He's pointing out the advantages of the single life. As the Lord Jesus said, not everybody can hear this. But those to whom it is given, to those to whom this gift is given, we ought to let them know that they're very acceptable. In fact, the Lord will use you in your singleness and can use you in ways he can never use a married brother or sister. Now it says in verse 36, If any man thinks he behaves himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she's past the flower of her age and need so requires, let him do what he will. He sins not, go ahead and let him marry. Now this has to do with the virgin daughter. And of course it shows that the man is to keep his daughter, that the man keeps his daughter with the strength of his own mind, with his own steadfastness, and with his own will, but that he is free to give her in marriage if that is what he wants to do. If he thinks that he's hindering his daughter by keeping her from marriage, by not giving her hand to a suitor, if he believes that He is hurting her, or keeping her from her purpose, which God has designed her for. He is free to let her marry, and that is not sin for him either. Nevertheless, it says, he that stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, that is, his heart doesn't push him forward, he has no constraint on his own mind by his conscience, and has power over his own will, and has decreed in his heart that he's going to keep his virgin daughter, He does well, so that he that gives her in marriage does well, but he that gives her not in marriage does better. And I'm reminded of the old saw, and I'll repeat it again, because I know it's true even in my own life, but that is, a son is a son till he finds his wife, a daughter's a daughter for the rest of her life. If you keep your daughter for the rest of your life or her life, and if you have no necessity, and if she depends upon you, and you can in good conscience do that and it doesn't hurt her and you're looking out for her own best interest I'm sure that you will also be a happy man just as those of us who've given their daughters to good men believing brothers also can be made happy although we sure do miss our daughters now verse 38 so he that gives her in marriage does well he that gives her not in marriage does better and now the final verses of 1st Corinthians 7 which summarize uh, effectively what we want to know. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. And here's the advice for widows. When your husband dies, ladies, you're free to remarry, but only in the Lord. And let me say that no one is free to marry an unbeliever. Even the apostle did not claim that right for himself. All of this consideration has to do, when it comes to marriage, with a believer. Now he says, but that widow is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think I have the Spirit of God. And she is happier if she stays single, unless she's young, in which case she's going to become a problem. She needs to go get married. Well we can look at that elsewhere in the scripture. He modifies his advice later. We need to see the whole scripture. But until next time, may God bless you. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8.